You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. So I got to do something really cool this week. Do tell. At least I thought it was cool. (laughs) Um, I got to send out our first thank you mug for for Patreon. Yay. Um, So um, Naomi, uh, who was our guest on Commentarians, Mm -hmm. um, she's been a supporter of our podcast. And as of right now, um, I don't know if it'll change in the future. You know, I can't. I can't plan for inflation, but um, <laughs> as of right now, $5 a month after your first three months of uh, support, you get yourself a uh, a special thank you mug. Uh, mm-hmm. So Personalized with custom artwork and everything. Yep. So um, if you are into coffee and mugs or just drinking things out of mugs, it doesn't have to be coffee. You can put pencils in it for all yeah. I care. <laughs> yeah, go check it out. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's cool. I like the design. Um, I kind of played with the the arrangement of stuff on it. So hopefully, uh, I think by the time this airs, Naomi should have hers. I hope she likes it. And uh, be sure to put a picture up uh, of you and your mug. Absolutely. So. Well, and then Miss Amy, our contest winner from way back. <laughs> yeah, I finally got, got sh- finally got around <laughs> to doing that. Yeah, we you know we talked about uh, we we talked about uh, how sometimes we're kind of slow getting around to things because there's only two of us. Well. Uh, I finally got around to getting uh, our contest winner uh, her shirt, and Amy will help you enjoy that. Uh, I'm sure she will, and Amy's uh, a former student of mine, so um, you know she has to love it. And mm-hmm. not that I'm in control of her grade anymore, but I have to draw on those teacher-student bond there. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, cool. But again, you know, I'm excited about. Oops, I'm bumping my mic stand there. I'm excited about that, and hopefully, uh, everyone else is and. We really appreciate the support, but you didn't come to hear about Patreon and what we're doing there necessarily. So let's talk about what we came to talk about. Oh, okay. So you actually kind of threw a wrench into the works because we we bypassed something in our last episode. And you brought up the fact that when Tamar had her children, it's twins. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I thought it was interesting because there's, I mean, if you just read through the text, there's some like obvious parallels. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first one is that, um, you know, the, there's the older and the younger. Right. And there is, uh, they say when the, when the older one start or when one baby started to come out, he stuck his arm out, they tied mm-hmm. a red ribbon around it and then he pulled his arm back in and then the second one came out first. Right. And so you kind of have this, the whole like uh, parallel of the baby uh, with Jacob and Esau. Yeah, being more ambitious, like with Jacob holding Esau's mm-hmm. heel. Um, so there's a, uh, I thought that was interesting. So I wanted to find out if there was more about that. Mm-hmm. And so you and I kind of looked into some of this stuff and it was, it was kind of interesting. Oh, it, it goes into this whole, another rabbit hole that I can fall into. And it, what's interesting about it is the fact that twins are like an ongoing topic throughout the Bible. Matter of fact, there's even some traditions that Cain and Abel were twins or that they were born with a, uh, uh, when Cain was born, he had a sister who was a twin. When Abel was born, he had a sister who was a twin. And so there's this big tradition around twins. And 
who who is going to be the successor and the one to carry out the the family um, legacy. And the thing is, when I got to looking at this, I was really I wound up staying up like till two o'clock this morning because um, I just couldn't sleep because I kept going through stuff. And so one of the things I was looking at was Tamar's twins are both part of the covenant community. Mm-hmm. They're part of the tribe of Judah, which is kind of in contrast with Jacob and Esau, where we have Jacob, who's part, of, who is the head of the covenant community. And Esau, you know, if we go with uh, Jacob, have I loved and Esau, have I hated, we kind of get this idea that Esau has been kind of cast out, but, you know, we've talked about some, how he wasn't necessarily just abandoned. And then it dovetails nicely with what Heiser's doing right now in the book of Exodus, talking Mm. about how Moses learned about the worship of Yahweh, possibly from the Canaanites and the Midians, and how this becomes a part of their legacy. And, you know, we talked about that Edomite uh, king list Mm. that we weren't going to talk about because it was so boring. Well, yeah. it actually contains the, one of the names of Jethro. Jethro had seven names in the Bible. Um, it contains the names of Jethro in that lineage. Mm-hmm. And so Jethro would have been part of Esau's descendants, and they would have still been worshiping the one true God. And right. so it, it, it isn't that Esau's family was excluded from the worship of God or that they couldn't serve God. It's just they weren't going to be the ones who brought the Messiah. Sure. And so I thought that was a really cool little uh, dovetail because, and we're reminded, I think, with the birth of Tamar's twins, that a twin doesn't automatically mean a good twin and an evil twin. Right. And so, because it's actually through one of Tamar's twins that we get King David. Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, that's kind of where I ended up on that yeah. because I was, you know, throwing this together last night because we were both going through different things no it's actually and it's kind of interesting so i I found an article on chabad which you kind of have to you you kind of have to watch some of their stuff because Mm -hmm. it's there's some they they talk a lot about a lot of stuff that's just tradition that's not Mm -hmm. there's no documentation for but i thought it was interesting that um they talk about god making things in pairs um you know for example he makes the day and the night and he makes Mm -hmm. the sun and the moon and he makes the water and the dry land and he you know uh, all these things and and he tends to make things opposite. Now, I don't, that, that was a, that was a hot topic in second temple literature. And Marianne uh-huh. Brand has, I just want to throw this out there. Marianne Brand actually covers this in her podcast about mm-hmm. these ideas of, of evil and why, why evil exists. And that was one of the interesting, uh, hypothesis in second temple literature that God just makes things in pairs. And so he makes good people and he makes, you know, he makes people who might be bad. Um, and so it, it really is kind of a weird thing. And again, I'm not saying this is how it is, but it's, it's worth understanding the, the thought processes behind that. And, um, but the idea is that when Jacob and Esau, uh, there's actually a difference in the wording, um, Mm -hmm. in, in Jacob and Esau and in Tamar's pregnancy story, um, when, when Jacob and Esau are born, it says when the time of her pregnancy had been fulfilled, if, 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 and then I can't remember exactly how Tamar's was, but was something like when when the it was when she gave birth, they didn't say anything about the fulfillment of the pregnancy. Right. And so the um, the um, sages believe the difference in the in the the phrases it, it could mean that there was. 
in Jacob and Esau's case, it was a full pregnancy that led to one deficient brother Mm -hmm. and one complete brother. And then in Tamar's pregnancy, her deficient pregnancy, uh, which they believe the phraseology meant that she didn't carry to term. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, they say seven months, um, but a a deficient pregnancy led to two righteous twins. Um, Again, that's just speculation, but I do think it's fun to throw those things out there just to kind of so you can see some of the traditions that surround it. And and that part of the tradition comes from, uh, I believe, the actual word for twins in those two accounts in the account for Jacob and Esau, the word twins was missing a couple mm-hmm. of letters. Yeah. Because with Hebrew, it's really funny. Sometimes you can do like what they call deficient spellings and you can lose some letters, which makes it really fun for those of us trying to learn Hebrew. And then Tamar, the twins, actually the spelling is complete. Right. And so uh, when we talk about Kabad and, and their um, their uh, website, they're drawing on a lot of sources that um, sometimes uh, dovetail with Kabbalah. And when you get into that Kabbalah, then you begin to, we've talked about Kabbalah before, you start to get into the significance of each individual letter. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of those points that I think we've made that you have to be careful with reaching too far. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think that, I mean, I don't think there's anything in that particular article that, and we'll link to it so you can read it. It's just interesting. I don't think there's anything that necessarily violates the text, but I don't right. think there's anything Maybe a little bit too much speculation. I, there's a whole, there's just a whole lot of speculation in it. So, um, but it's it's interesting to read to kind of get an idea of that that thought process. Sorry, I have a drinking problem. <laughs> Went down wrong. <laughs> so, anyway, you can't say things like that on Mike. People are going to take that sample and they're going to be like, "Well, <laughs> you can't trust them. She's an alcoholic." <laughs> yeah. Um, of all the problems I have, that's not it. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, but yeah. Uh, so I want to. I want to talk, but you had some other stuff on the twins that was kind of interesting, didn't you? Or was that it? Did you already do yours? I think I pretty much did it, except for one thing. Uh, I will point this out just in case I forget to mention it again. When we get to the birth of Joseph's boys, the phrasing there does not specifically say twins, but the the phrasing kind of lends itself to the interpretation of twins. Mm -hmm. So once again, we would have, have this tradition of twins within um jacob's family and that's it's kind of i mean it's kind of interesting and i think we also oh we talked about how thomas uh doubting thomas uh is also a twin that's i think you mentioned that and then i think one of my kids said something and distracted me so yeah i don't i don't think i have any information on that you did all the research on that one (laughs) well and we didn't and i didn't do a whole lot because like i said it was late last night but there was probably something even to that um being able to to tie in but we haven't made those ties. So if anybody wants to take that and run with it, feel free. Yeah. Yeah. If you have any good information, send it our way. We, we, we want it. So cool. So that kind of wraps up. Uh, just like I said, something we wanted to tack on with Judah and Tamar, that story. And we thought that was kind of some interesting speculation that was out there. Yeah. And um, so now we are back to Joseph down in Egypt. Yeah, he has been down there for a while. We really don't know how long. Uh, we know he was sold to um, the chief steward of Pharaoh's house, mm-hmm. and he's known as Potiphar. It's very interesting. Potiphar's name is only mentioned twice in the entire text. And so, um, but I think it's a very familiar Old Testament name, and maybe it's because the story. It's got to be because of the story. Because there's, I mean, there, there's, for some reason, we like this story in in Sunday school. Mm-hmm. And I do, I do think I want to kind of look, I, I, 
I kind of at one point going to go back and look at like the popular stories of Sunday school and find out like, what is it about these particular stories? And there's some that are kind of obvious, you know, Noah's Ark because the animals. Right. Um, Adam it makes Eve, a good song. Yeah. Adam and Eve, uh, just because it's at the beginning, I'm pretty sure. Um, then you have Samson because that's a really cool like kind of superhero uh-huh. type thing, you know. Uh, but there is um, it's and then there's then Joseph. We talk about Joseph and I don't know. I don't know if it's maybe it's because, you know, people understand what it's like to get picked on by your older brothers. <laughs> but then, of course, that leaves the story kind of deficient because then then like we like we talked about last week, this wasn't just teenagers. It wasn't just, oh, your right. your older brothers wrestling with you in the living room. These were like grown. These were adults who wanted to kill him, who wanted to <laughs> kill him and sold him. Um, because if you look at, uh, you know, back into the, the story of Judah and Tamar, it says about that time Judah went. And, and so yeah. it means Judah was already a grown man who is going uh, to establish to, his own house. Yeah, to go find his son a wife. Yeah, so. he had grown kids. And whenever you think about the dynamic that's going on here, and again, I want to go ahead and put this out there one more time. This really is about the creation of sacred space. It's about creating a family to inhabit that space. And so it gets very interesting to see um, the dynamics that are going on with this holy family. It's so completely dysfunctional. Well, it, uh, yeah, it does speak <laughs> to this, the, the dysfunction because, I mean, think about it, uh, how often uh, when families, when, you know, when, when siblings grow up and they have kids of their own, a lot of their sibling stuff gets set aside because mm-hmm. they're too busy to worry about right. it. And to think about the fact that Judah still, they're still operating in this dysfunction even after Judah has kids that are old enough to marry. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of crazy. Well, and I think if anything, it should give us hope because how many of us came out of dysfunctional families? Um, I think the answer is all of us. Yeah, there's, there's, to some degree, <laughs> there's, there's dysfunction. But I think sometimes... Um, People think that that disqualifies them from being a person of faith and and actually serving God. And so, no, you're in good company. I I think that's the message that comes out of this. Yeah, and and it really is. It's kind of interesting just seeing like that the message is over and over that God redeems. And, And it's so obvious that if you're not seeing God will fix a bad situation, I don't understand what Bible you're reading. Right. So Joseph, while he's in um, in Egypt, he's in Potiphar's house. He rises very quickly to the the top of the the hierarchy within the house. Mm-hmm. He's basically the second in command. And at first, this used to be a point of criticism against the Bible that Potiphar would allow a Hebrew to take that kind of leadership role in his house. Right. And the thing is, we now have archaeology archaeological records that show us sorry they had a kid in the room we're back go ahead (laughs) okay so for a long time there was a lot of dispute about whether or not an egyptian would allow a hebrew to take that much charge uh, control in his house Mm -hmm. and now we know from some archaeological records that this was actually pretty common and we have a uh, papyrus, uh, specifically Brooklyn, the Brooklyn papyrus, thirty-five point one four four six, and it actually outlines the way that slaves were incorporated into the house. And it was very common for foreign slaves to have these household jobs, 
to have these administrative positions, and they would put Egyptian slaves out into the field to work. That's interesting. It, it really is, especially when you consider where the story's going. Yeah. And that Exodus is the, is the next book. And this is really the beginning of the fulfillment of God's prophecy to, to Abraham that his children were going to spend 300 years or 400 years in slavery. And this is the beginning of that. Yeah. And let's not get too deep into that because when we get into that chapter, there's some really interesting stuff to point yeah, out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we can go, it can get crazy. But I just want to point this is where it starts. And the other interesting thing about this story is as you read through it four times, it says that God is with Joseph. Mm-hmm. And the word there, for God is, uh, if you look in your Bibles, most of you will have, uh, it'll say, and the Lord was with him, uh-huh. and it's Lord in all capital letters, so it's Yahweh, or however you want to mm-hmm. try to pronounce that. Uh, anytime you see that all capitals in the Lord, that's what the, the translators are trying to tell you. This is the, the unique name of God right. being used here. And this is important because we're in Egypt, and there's like... A bazillion different gods. Yeah. And so the writers really want you to understand this is the God that is with Joseph. That's, yeah, I can see how that's important. Something else I want to look, want to point out here. Um, this is, we talk about what a great blessing Joseph had here mm-hmm. uh, with being given, you know, rule of up to half the kingdom kind of thing, uh, you know, the, or the, you know, of Potiphar's estate, g- giving rule of basically everything except mm-hmm. Potiphar's wife. But one of the things that I think we tend to overlook is the responsibility aspect of this mm-hmm. is Joseph didn't get there just because, oh, well, God's with me, so I'm just going to get a promotion because I believe in him. No, he was <laughs> he was working hard and he was doing well at his job. And I think that's one of the things that um, that we as Christians need to be doing. Uh, and I can... I, yeah, I can go all day about this because I've I've worked with people, and this is a little tangent, but I <laughs> uh, you know I've worked with with lots of people. I've been in management and retail and in customer service, uh, phone banks, things like mm-hmm. that. Where, um, you know, I, the people I have the and I'm not joking. The people I have the most trouble with have been the people that say, "Hi, my name is so and so, and I'm a Christian." Mm-hmm. Um. And do you have a break for pastors? Well, how much can I get off of this? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, we have yeah, customers even, yeah, d- d- church customers that would go into uh, you know, I used to work for Guitar Center, they would come in and they would put together these huge uh orders and then tell us, oh, well, we didn't budget that much for it. And I mean, I, I had one guy who would uh, who would say, okay, well, if if it's God's will. He's going to provide for it, right? And this guy was not a Christian. He had just dealt with enough of a, uh, of these churches. But um, but no, so Joseph was not just slacking off at his job. I, I, that's all that to say this. Um, <laughs> Joseph was not just slacking off at his job He and, and relying on, oh, well, God's going to take care of it. I don't have to worry. No, he was, he was putting in the work as well to uh, to do and be obedient so that God could move him into this place. And I think it's just not, not even just the work. I mean, that's a big aspect of it. I don't want to downplay that. But even his attitude right. while, while doing the work. I mean, you don't put somebody who's going to be an intimate part of your household in, in this kind of position yeah. if 
you, they don't have an attitude you like. Yeah, and and yeah, and integrity also mm-hmm. being a good th- a, a big part of that too. Because you know how many times have you seen? I, again, <laughs> I, I've seen people going in and and coming from a sales background. The guy who was stealing the most sales was the guy who was always talking about his church, and. I can't deal with that. Oh, well, you know, I, I was a server for so long. You want to talk about the worst people to wait on? Sunday afternoon crowds. Yeah, Sunday afternoon crowd. They're going to have 15 people in at one table and they're going to get to tip you five bucks for all of it. If they're going to do that and they're going to have their Bible on the thing, they're going to have special on the table, they're going to have special. Um, they're going to have special uh, prayer time. Special prayer time, but they're also going to have special orders and substitutions. And <laughs> even though it's the busiest time, and then they're going to leave then, you a tract that looks like money. Yeah, the, the tract <laughs> that looks like a hundred dollar bill. Yeah, yeah. It almost made me lose my faith a few times. Don't do that. Don't be that person. Yeah. So. Okay, <laughs> so that's no. that's our disclaimer. Sorry, we're we, we come, have you noticed we come from a customer service and retail <laughs> backgrounds? Well, I don't think people realize how much damage they have done to to the image of Christianity just in failing to be polite. Well, and, and being disconnected even from the people they're around because I don't think a lot of Christians realize that that is a caricature. the mm-hmm. The church lunch uh, yeah. customer that's a caricature. A known caricature among anyone in the, the customer service industry. Anyone, yeah. So, um, so if you're not aware of that, um, get a clue, <laughs> or, or go, or go wait tables for for six months and and you know, yes, figure it out. Well, everybody ought to be required to do that anyway. So, well, I worked fast food for a while, so I think I, I got close. You you got very close. So so okay, back to the Bible. <laughs> but Joseph did a good job, had a good attitude, and and. And worked with integrity. So go ahead. Okay. So Joseph, uh, yes, absolutely worked with integrity. Uh, The only thing that Potiphar kept from him was his wife. And it's also interesting. uh, The other thing that that Potiphar paid attention to with Joseph is the food that Joseph ate. And that's going to be a big point when Joseph's brothers arrive. This is also going to be a big point in Exodus whenever um, Moses wants to go sacrifice animals. And we're going to talk more about that. When we get to the meal that Joseph shares with his brothers. Okay. But I think it's interesting that, that we already have this hint. Hey, there's something to do with the food and we need to watch out and pay attention to what's going on with the food. Mm-hmm. And we're already getting here. Um, now, in this section two, um, Joseph is described as well-built and handsome is what my verse, version says. Which uh, verse? That is verse six. Um, I have now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Okay. So he is the only man in the entire Bible that's described this way. And matter of fact, the only other time we find these precise words are about Rachel, who is his mother. Okay. And so this has led to some speculation and uh, we're going to go into kind of how the story might support this, that he was not purchased necessarily to, to be this uh, uh, great steward of, of Pharaoh of Potiphar's house, but that he was actually purchased because Potiphar had desires for mm. him. And because, well, let's just go through the story and we'll get there. So the wife approaches Joseph and um, it says on a certain day. And the, the rabbis saw that to say, okay, on this day, um, this is verse 11, it says on one such day that Joseph had actually gone back to the house and was going to do accounts for Potiphar and do some different things because it was an Egyptian holiday. 
Okay. And so Potiphar's wife knew that Joseph would be there alone. And so that she had constructed this. Now, speculation, but we do know that there, she did arrange a situation where she could be alone. Right. Whether there was an Egyptian holiday, but I think that kind of went to your um, working hard idea that when everybody else is on holiday, mm-hmm. Joseph is there. And so, uh, and she had coaxed him for days, but on a certain day while he was there to do work, um, none of the household inside, she, she basically says, come lie with me. No other woman in the Bible is this, this direct. And uh, she uh, got lost in my notes here. No one else is this direct. And Joseph, of course, he, he refuses her and he uses three lines of reasoning. And I really like this because so often we as Christians want to use one line. Mm-hmm. And he, he uses the line of reasoning that it's wrong because he'd be breaking his master's trust. Mm-hmm. And then he, he says it's wrong because it would be dishonoring to her marriage. Mm-hmm. And then he, he says, you know, it's morally wrong. Right. And so he, he, but the moral reason, he holds that back because he knows that has no real bearing on her. Right. The, the other two things directly impact her. And I think when we're talking with someone who's not of our faith and we're objecting to something, that I think that moral appeal kind of needs to be the last thing on the table. I can see that. Because, well, I mean, if the Bible's not what's defining good and evil in For your them. life, yeah. yeah. Well, and that's actually, it's kind of funny because I, I, heard, I heard on another podcast talking about, you know, the Bible, the Bible, you know, they, they said the Bible is authoritative in all the world. And so whenever we preach the gospel, we don't have to worry about uh, persuading people yeah, to see things our way because we're speaking authoritatively. So we don't have to worry about speaking persuasively. And I'm like, that's a really weird thing to say. Um, yeah, I don't that think that works. That doesn't make sense. I mean, and especially if if you have people who don't respect the Bible as a source of authority. Yeah, well, and you've got to respect a, something or a person's authority before you're going to obey it. And you know, in today's culture, where we're discounting the Bible as being irrelevant or just being an old book of made up stories, right? I mean, this is like saying that Grimm's fairy tales should hold authority because everybody's read it. it it's this same kind of logic and so uh of course we don't believe that we do believe the bible is authoritative but that's for us right and and so yeah we we do have to think about how other people are going to perceive a situation and so we might have to appeal to something that affects them when we're trying to make a moral decision right now I, i do think we should also you know i think we should also put that out there and be consistent with it Mm -hmm. and and even you know, if someone says, hey, did, you know, it, is there any other reason? You know, then we should be ready to present that. But I do think that when trying to convince someone else not to do something, we right. need to appeal to a different type of standard. Right. Uh, we don't, well, we don't need to, but we don't need to try to enforce our faith on Precisely. them. Or say, you know, you can't, uh, you, know, you can't do this because I'm a Christian. That's, you know, that's and, not helpful. And, and that's the thing. It's, we're imposing it, the moral stance on ourselves, not on everybody else. And even in this, Joseph is saying, I can't do this mm-hmm. because of what I believe. And I think it's very interesting here because this is actually a throwback to the Garden of Eden uh, when we're talking about temptation and the fact that Joseph had control of everything in Pharaoh's, uh, sorry, not Pharaoh's, Potiphar's house, except for the wife. Mm-hmm. And in the garden, they had access to every tree except mm-hmm. one. And the idea there that the, the rabbis really begin to pull out is 
that as human beings, we can have everything we want except for that one thing. Mm -hmm. And it's always that one thing that it's being withheld from us that reminds us we are human. We're not God. And as long as we have that one thing that we don't have, whether it's, you know, a, a peace, uh, a spouse, uh, the perfect job, the perfect car, whatever it is, it's to remind us we're never going to get there. Right. And, I, you know, and I can see the wisdom in that. I, I think some of us need to remind, be reminded that certain things are reserved for God. And, you know, even if that's just having the life we want. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we could be almost there because your wife and I were talking about balance last night and how impossible really it is to achieve sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. Well, I was listening to, there's a, there's a podcast to listen to called the Femsplainers, yes. which uh, <laughs> they, you know, it, it's interesting because I, I like to listen to it because it's a little different perspective than I see the world, but I still think we need to understand what the voices are. And I think they're, they're, they're a logical, well thought a couple of women, they have really good guests on uh, some really, um, I don't want to say entertaining stories because that's not a very informative, informative, uh, very powerful stories um, about some of the struggles they've been through. Um, and and uh, so I was listening to that and they were, I can't remember who it was. Uh, one of the hosts said she was, she had a chance to talk to about uh, being one of the, uh, she was a, a well-known woman in uh, commerce. I'll link to the episode whenever I get a chance to think of it. Um, but she she was a businesswoman and she had a family and and the host said she she had gotten a chance to ask this woman how was it you managed to balance family and work life and and have great kids and and still run this company. And this woman said, "I was just exhausted for 18 years." And it's it's really kind of that you can have you can have uh, a great family Great business. Great, great business, but no sleep. But no sleep, or you can have sleep and a good family. Actually, I don't think you can have a great family and, and get as much sleep as you want. Um, but you know that's I well, and know. I, and it goes to to this again is that there's always that one thing, uh, and being okay with the fact that there's one thing that's going to be off the table, and you get. I think sometimes we get to decide what that one thing is, right? And like with your scenario where you were talking, well, the scenario you just presented. That you know the business, the family, and the sleep. Pick two. I yeah. mean, so well, and that's and that's actually um, one of the things. And while we're while we're talking about <laughs> things that I listen to that might lose us fans, I was you know I listened to uh, to Jordan Peterson, and he was talking about how sacrifice is a big deal, mm -hmm. and um, that you have to choose. And whenever you knowingly are sacrificing something, it's not a big deal because you, the sacrifice is not about what you're giving away. It's about what you're putting in front of you that makes the other thing less important. Oh you know, my he goodness. Was, Cause he was talking about when he started doing his, his college work, he, he quit drinking cause he was, he realized, Hey, it's really hard to think to the level you need to when you're hung over trying to write during the day when you've been up all night drinking. And so he, you know, he gave it up. Um, you know, not not like altogether. He said he still has a drink every now and again, but he quit going out and partying every right. night. And, you know, it's and that, you know, that sounds like a simplistic story. But at the same time, it's that same principle. You put something that's more important out there to to go towards and the other stuff just falls by the wayside. Well, then, that falls in line with Proverbs, you know, where there is no vision, my people cast off restraint. Right. And I, that's been something that in my own life, it's like, once I get the vision of what I'm trying to accomplish, then it's very easy to say no to even good things. Like sleep. Yeah. Like being up till two in the morning. <laughs> right. Researching. Yeah. You, 
it's good. It's easy to say no because I know what I'm working for. And so that's a very biblical principle that he he just uh, laid out there. And unfortunately, a lot of college students don't get that. Right. As a former college student, uh, student and teacher, I've seen this in action. Right. And so uh, it sounds simple, but it actually is something a lot of people don't understand. So um, Joseph, he gets it. He understands that he's got to say no. Um, and and he, this is one of the few times that he really gets it right. Mm-hmm. And um, we're going to talk about the things that he, I mean, we've already talked about the, the way he was so arrogant towards his brother and kind of a brat. And um, we're going to talk about whether that character flaw kind of shows back up later. But at this point, he, he's, he's doing the right thing. And um, so she, basically, she goes to her husband and she, well, first she goes to the servants mm-hmm. and she turns all the servants. And it's really What's interesting in this speech that she gives, she doesn't identify Joseph as a slave. She doesn't put him down as a slave when she's talking to the other slaves. She puts him down as a foreigner. Mm-hmm. She's really managing her audience. This oh, one, yeah. Yeah. She's, yeah she, well, she's, she's labeling. Uh-huh. And, and she's, she's and, and this is the shit. There, there's a whole lot to pull out. Of, <laughs> sorry, that was a little loud. There's a whole lot to pull out of this because really whenever you think about when we get, when we have an issue and again this this is definitely you know a case of sexual harassment run amok mm-hmm. um but it's the old one of the oldest <laughs> cases here but um just th- that you know when she goes in like you said she she says this foreigner she puts him into mm-hmm. a, a group identity yes which what does that do it it, sh- it it shuts out people being able to look at him and so but I don't think that's the point of the story, but go ahead. <laughs> well, and that's the great thing. Uh, there's a verse in Isaiah and Jeremiah that says a hammer breaks many rocks. And the, the, the rabbis saw that as there's a lot of things to pull out, many meanings to pull out of a single scripture. Yeah, that's I mean, there definitely is, because I, I know that and 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 theologians are probably some of the worst <laughs> at putting someone in a camp so you don't have to listen to what they have to say. Oh, but let's go ahead. Yeah. Okay. I know on. which soapbox you're trying not to climb on. <laughs> I know. I'm, so, I'm trying to, I'm trying to leave it alone. Just leave it alone. <laughs> but this, this becomes a huge theme and this really becomes Joseph's defining moment because it is so right. And there is a, um, I think we've talked some in the past about second temple lit and how a lot of the second temple literature was written to kind of explain uh, kind of gaps and things in the story and to really kind of elevate even the characters of the Bible beyond what the Bible does itself. And there is a, a set of writings. Uh, it's called the Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs. And the Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs is basically books written by each of Jacob's sons. And almost all of them kind of have some sort of reference to Joseph in this event. Because um, this is Think of Proverbs. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Proverbs from each of these. Okay. And so it's an interesting read. Um, and each of them cover a different topic. Reuben talks about evil uh, desires, and uh, he talk- Simon talks about envy. Levi, of course, talks about the priesthood. But they all are very specific. <laughs> Joseph talks about um, promiscuity. And okay, I thought you were going to say middle management. <laughs> no. um, sorry, go ahead. Which can be evil in and of itself. But anyhow, um, so, but in this book, they, they, when they refer back to this event, uh, Reuben uh, says promiscuity is the first of the evil spirits. Simon says it's the mother of all evil. Uh, Reuben 
of specifically of Joseph says that guarded, uh, sorry, Joseph guarded himself from every woman and guarded himself from all impurity. And then Joseph in his book says, I did not yield to her even in my heart. Hmm. And so this idea that Joseph was so pure and that he wasn't going to do anything with her because it, it was specifically a sexual sin. Mm-hmm. And that's really built on, uh, um, on that Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs. And you can get uh, PDFs of that online to read for free. That's cool. So it, it's out there. Um, when she goes but, to... But that's, that's pseudepigraphal work. Yes, it is a pseudepigraphal work. Um, and it's going to... Um, but those concepts are actually going to show, show up in some other books that I want to look at related to this later. Okay. Well, and just to clear up what pseudepigraph is, those are... Those are uh, people writing around the second, second Temple time, writing things in the name of uh, known biblical characters uh, right. because they would believe it would give it a little more uh, uh, better reception, better, uh, better, yeah, authority, more, more authority. authority, yeah. So, um, so it's it's not that they were necessarily trying to fool anyone, right? Um, but they were they were basically kind of manufacturing the wisdom that they would have assumed that the the brothers might have brought forth from their experience. It's a very accepted writing style. I mean, today we don't do it with copyright laws and what have you, but uh, at that point it, it was just known that this was going on and it, it was okay. So uh, it was preserved. We still have copies of it. It's, it, it's a fun read. Uh, I actually read through it in preparation. I've got, this is the apocryphal old Testament um, by HFD sparks. And mm. that's one of the, very much a, a a respected translation. So when she does leave the, it, when she stops talking, stops talking to the slaves, let's get the letters in the right order. Um, she uh, goes to Potiphar and it says Potiphar was furious. And what's interesting is it doesn't tell you who he's furious at. Right. It doesn't say if she's, he's furious with her or he's furious with Joseph. Now, this is where, remember, we talked about why did he purchase Joseph? What was right. his ultimate design? Because Potiphar had every right to have Joseph killed. Mm-hmm. And specifically, he, he typically would have a, a, an Egyptian who had a slave who violated the house in this way would have been killed. And Potiphar didn't do it. So this kind of leads a little credence to that speculation that Potiphar bought him because Potiphar had designs on Joseph not hmm. just his wife. And so now we've kind of upped the ante that Joseph may have been in a very sexually abusive, predatory environment. Right. And he's, you know, he's not very old at this point. I think like 18, 17, 18, somewhere around in there. And so we have to ask, you know, why didn't Potiphar have him killed? Uh, was it God's intervention? Was there some kind of affection there? That, right. And this leads into a whole bunch of other stories that we're going to go into later. Um, it's interesting that Potiphar, when he imprisons Joseph, the prison's in Potiphar's house. It is. I hadn't noticed that. Yeah. Uh, well, in verse, uh, in chapter 40, verse seven, uh, this is um, talking about Joseph's custody in his master's house. In chapter 41, verse 10, in the custody, in the custody of the house of the chief steward. Now, Interesting little note here. Not only is it in his house, Egypt is the only culture at this time using prisons. Right. Because if you go back to every other culture, we're looking at 
fines. We're looking at exile, death, dismemberment sometimes. These are the accepted punishments for violating the law. Yeah. But we're also looking at the difference between an established society and culture with structures, with buildings that don't move around versus tents and camels. Right. Yeah. Versus a nomadic type of people. Yeah. So if you can lock up your prisoners and keep them in one spot, um, you probably have an established base. You're you're pretty wealthy. (laughs) Yeah. And so that I I think that's pretty interesting um, that this is. That Joseph is in a place where he can be a prisoner, he can be a slave, and there is this option. Sure. Because any other culture, this would not have happened. And um, so one of the things that we see come out of this is this really isn't just a question of will Joseph have sex with Potiphar's wife? Because in the slave culture, promiscuity was part of that. That was just the norm. Right. It, it, I mean, think about their situations. They, how many pleasures did they have in life? This is one of the few that the, the slave masters could not take from them. And so it's kind of well documented that this is one of the things that the slaves did um, quite frequently. And the, it becomes a question of identity. Is Joseph a slave of circumstance or is he master of himself? Right. And in saying no, he is actually saying, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm still in control of myself. And I don't, you know, even though I might physically be enslaved, the the truest part of me isn't enslaved. Right. And I thought, you know, I never really thought about it from that perspective before. And so this kind of becomes very much a, an ongoing theme mm-hmm. in a lot of ancient literature. Okay. So that's interesting. I I hadn't considered that before either. But that's Yeah, it's it's the I think we kind of have to step back from our modern perspective. Right. Because most of us wouldn't have the first clue as to what it would mean to be a slave in anyone's house. And we we think, oh yeah, I'm slaving away for the man. Right. And that, that has no bearing whatsoever with what Joseph's actual right, circumstance. Right, because at the end of the day, we can go home. Right. We, we can, you know, we can find something else to do, most of us, uh, that can pay the bills. We can, we can wear what we want to wear. We can watch what we want to watch on TV. We, yeah. you, you know, all of these things. We can marry who we want to marry. Um, right. We can keep our children with us if we so choose. These are the kinds of basic things that, you know, what do you want to have your fridge? <laughs> right. And, you know, it's, it's, it is kind of interesting because they're, uh, it, it is kind of a miracle. I mean, that, that in most developed countries, there is no form of, of like actual slavery. You know, we, there's, there's inequality in the world and, we, you know, we are working hopefully to, to bring people up out of poverty and what slavery does exist is very much underground and not publicized. And mm-hmm. I mean, because I, I don't want to downplay the sex slave um, trafficking that, oh, right. that goes on. Uh, but again, not an accepted part of our society. Right, right. And so and I, I think it's, it's just amazing, though, that whenever you look at how much uh, slavery happened in, in history, the fact that we have in just a very short amount of time, mm-hmm. I mean... It, 
the, this was kind of a new experiment for it, for the world to not have a class of people who, who don't get to make their own choices. And that's really awesome. Mm -hmm. um, but we need to appreciate that, hey, this is kind of a new thing. And we are, we're working through a lot of the repercussions because the majority of our time on Earth, there has been uh, some form of slavery. And so just the fact that it seems so far removed from us mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, but it, it does need to be a little fresher in our minds that, hey, this is, this is the new way of going about things. And when we look at ancient cultures, they didn't even have a concept of not having uh, slaves. Right. And so well, we and should, you know, we should not necessarily say it's okay that they did these things, but we should understand that they were working with the best they had. Well, and I think it's, you know, it's interesting that these brothers were able to enslave their own brother. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of times I think what we forget about in ancient slavery, we aren't talking about a race issue. We're talking about who was conquered, who was powerless, whether mm -hmm. it was through mm -hmm. combat or through poverty, because a lot of people would sell themselves into slavery in order to have a place to sleep and a place to live. And, right. and so this was not, um, it was not based on any nationality or race or ethnicity. It, it was all about who had the power. Right. And, uh, you know, that's, I think that's another thing we miss when we talk about biblical slavery. And so Joseph, I mean, he was a Hebrew. Uh, and the Egyptians, they had slaves from across the world. We actually know that they had uh, Asian slaves. Mm -hmm. uh, they had other Egyptian slaves. They had African slaves from the rest of the continent. They, they had very much, um, it, there was a pride in having almost like, hey, I've got one of each set, you know, it's, it, or I've got the full set. And, and that sounds horrible. <laughs> but that's kind of, that was the mindset. Uh, of the Egyptian household, because the more diversity you had in your slaves, the more powerful you must be, mm -hmm. because different, you know, different skill sets uh, were associated with different uh, races and ethnicity. Hmm. And, you know, we still kind of have that mindset today in a lot of things. Um, but this, this story um, kind of illustrates that there's this, this, there's this ability in Joseph to, to rise above the circumstance, mm -hmm. to say that I'm not going to allow myself to, to be completely uh, defined by outward circumstance. And I think that's something we, we need to be able to do in our own life. And it, it's a theme that gets picked up on. Mm -hmm. uh, we have uh, at least five different Greek myths where there's a young man who's wrongfully accused mm -hmm. there uh, and, or, wrongfully attacked by a married woman or a woman who's unavailable because she could belong to the gods or what have you. Right. And then another God intervenes and saves this God. Uh, we have in Egyptian mythology, in Egyptian mythology, there's a tale called the tale of the two brothers. Mm -hmm. And in this, it's very much about um, one brother's wife tries to seduce another brother and the other brother, the brother who is being seduced runs away and the brother who was married to this woman has to figure out the truth and it becomes this big whole saga. Uh, it's very closely uh, related to the Osiris myths, mm -hmm. which if you've ever listened to Horace Saves Christmas, uh, <laughs> that will explain some of that. Uh, we'll put a link to that too. And, uh, but it actually was a story that was written sometime after Joseph and it's a possibility that this is Egyptian myth 
actually picked up on the Joseph story and incorporated different elements into the Egyptian mythology, hmm. which is very rare from what we typically hear in uh, the comparative religion studies. Yeah, yeah, usually a comparative religion, it has the older material before the biblical material. Right. Which, well, if, uh, which if, if, you're, uh, if you have a problem with that, I, I will find... Um, Dr. Heiser does a really good episode on that where he compares some of the Psalms to uh, to the Bale cycle. Mm -hmm. And man, that episode was incredible. Um, but we've talked about that a little bit too with uh, in uh, Genesis with uh, using the that polemic idea in the the biblical writing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a it's really interesting when you start seeing who's who's writing what and when. Well, and when you bring up the Bale cycle, that actually the tale of the two brothers um, is based on some of the stories of Bale. And mm. they think that the Egyptians borrowed it from the the Canaanites because it, it helps explain co-regency, which okay. uh, co-regency is the idea that you can have more than one king ruling at one time. And we know that this happened in uh, Egypt, but it also happened with Joseph's brothers and the tribes and the kings of Israel later on, that there would be more than one leader at one particular time. And this is the reason why the kings get so confusing when we start getting into Israel's history. Sure. Because you have all these overlaps. And, but the stories all play off each other. And I think where we find these common themes within society and different societies presenting these common themes, we begin to realize there is a problem here, that this is a reoccurring concern that arises just kind of organically within each community. Right. And now, and you've got to remember too, this is also a little bit of a commentary on views of women because women were the seductresses of the ancient world. Men were not considered to be the aggressors. Women were considered to be the aggressors. And, you know, that's so opposite from what we hear. That's, that's very opposite from what we're used to hearing. You know, it's kind of kind of reminds me of there's an episode of The Office where uh, Michael's trying to ask for a raise and he's dating Jan. Do you remember yes. that one? And, and Toby's like, I'm taking notes for what I'm certain is going to be the first uh, <laughs> uh, 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 sexual harassment case of a man to a woman, you know, or a woman to a woman harassing man or something like that. And I'm like, it's kind of funny because this one's actually uh, kind of what, what, what Toby was thinking of. It's exactly that. And so I think it's kind of interesting when we get into that, that the idea that a lot of the, the oppression of women that we see touted as a, bi a biblical hallmark, it, it's because they, thought women were that powerful and that dangerous. Mm. And so they had to kind of keep women oppressed or we were just going to rise up and take over the world and force men to have sex against their will all the time. And it was going to be a horrible place because we were going to be able to control everything. And I mean, that's obviously a very abbreviated version of events. So that's a very interesting, I, I, yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I won't get too graphic on this, but uh, there is, um, a really, there's some great work. I'll see if I can find some books, uh, some that I might feel appropriate to share that discuss some of this, but it is a common theme. And so Joseph in Potiphar's house, um, this sets the scene for what's going to play out again. And we know that actually this is the first episode and then we get with Pharaoh, which we won't go into today, but almost the same thing happens. 
the, as far as the rise in power, mm-hmm. he's second in command. And so we have these very quick retellings. And wrapped up in there, we also have retellings of Laban and Jacob. We have mm-hmm. re- and so we we're going to be able to to jump into some some fun things with that. Yeah, now that's a it's a whole lot in that story. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, because we're actually um, we're going to come back to it in probably our next episode. But okay. Yeah. Is that kind of where you're wanting to stop yeah, for I now? Think, I think so. I, I have no idea what our time is. Oh. It- we're, we're a little under what we typically are, but there's a whole lot in this episode anyway, because, <laughs> man, we went a little bit of everywhere. Um, but uh, next week, it's more on uh, Joseph and Potiphar's house. Are we going to the prison in the dreams or are we doing? Uh, yes, we okay. are. Uh... Cool. Because that's a that's a fun one to to get into. So I guess we'll see you back next week. We'll be in chapter 40. Um Thanks again to our Patreon donors. Uh, if you want to be one of them, uh, hit up uh, patreon.com slash Raven Creek SC. Um, if you want to be part of the conversation, Raven Creek, or Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, hit Raven Creek SC is our handle on all of those. Um, pretty much any social media, if there's a Raven Creek SC uh, us. <laughs> account, that's us. Um, then uh, ravencreeksc.com is our website, which can get you pretty much anywhere you need to find us. Um, Get show notes and also some uh, some blog articles that Emily's been posting. Um, so you get some stuff that's not even part of the podcast. I think I've got one or two up there. Okay, get you more writing. I need on. to get more writing time. Um, but that being said, <laughs> um, no thanks everyone for joining us, and we will see you next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.